So we've all heard some of these terms. Heads up. Four. Fire in the hole. Hopefully you haven't heard that one in person. Watch out. These are all things we know mean, hey, be aware. Something's happening, right? Depending on the, the context, they all mean be alert. Look out. Watch yourself. And, and I, that's what I would probably say this whole passage is about. Jesus is going to give his disciples some warnings of things to come. Now, let me just give you a little bit of information on this. This discourse that we're going to go through is known as what, in a, uh, um, sorry, I'm getting tongue-tied, uh, a prophetic or an apocalyptic passage. Now, in, in a, an apocalyptic passage, they, there's a couple things that are common within them. First is that apocalyptic passages usually have what's known as the principle of double reference. Okay, So it usually pertains to two things. It's speaking about something that's going to happen very, pretty immediately within the lifetime of the people who are hearing it. But then it also is alluding to and referring to some things to come, usually referring to the last days. Um, a couple other things that are common in the writing is the uh, what's known as you know hyperbole, where they kind of exaggerate the pictures and in word pictures. Okay, so most apocalyptic writing has a hyperbole and word pictures. <clears throat> so we're going to see some of that as we're reading through this. Now, this is one of those passages that there's a bit of difference in how people interpret it. Um, and in some of them, depending on their view of the end times, there's theolo and their study of eschatology, which eschatology is, is just another big theological word for one's belief about death and the resurrection and the final judgment. Okay? So depending on their view of that, there's theologians with different sides. I was telling my wife this week, Tanya, I was saying, you know, I wish I was one of those pastors that could just go, this is the way I see it, so this is the only way to believe the Bible. I'm not that pastor. I, I can't do that. I, I, I can't just teach, here's how I see it, so you should, you should believe it this way. Because there's too many godly people on both sides of, the, of, of this that they still agree on the final end, but they don't all interpret some of these things the exact same way. So I put it out there for you. This, if you're something, if you want to study more into it, please study more into it. I know some of you are like, no, just give us the answer. We want to know the easy answer. <clears throat> Sorry. I can refer you to a couple churches if that's what you want. Um, all right. <laughs> all right. Um, so let's, let's look at it. What we're going to do is we're going to take this and kind of divide it into five key sections here. All right. The first is the destruction of the temple. We're going to look at verse 5 through 9 and see what Jesus says about, about this. It says this. It says, while the, some were speaking of the temple and how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will, be, that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, teacher, when will these things be? 
And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? So what is he saying? They're, they're kind of, you know, they're heading up to the Mount of Olives. And as they're doing, imagine that the temple is kind of gleaming in the sun. And, and they were just on the steps. And, and the, the, the temple is this magnificent piece of architecture. And they're kind of bragging on their temple a little bit, right? And Jesus says, hey, there's going to come a day where this whole thing is going to be toast. right? It's going to be turned upside down. There's a, a prolific... Uh, Jewish historian who is not a Christian, who was, we have a lot of his writings from this time period uh, of when this happened. <clears throat> and his name was Josephus. And he said this about the utter demol uh, demolition of the temple. He said that Herod's temple, with the exception of three great towers and part of the Western Wall, the whole circuit of the city was so thoroughly leveled and dug up that no, no one visiting it would believe that it had ever been inhabited, okay? So we know that the temple was destroyed in what we're gonna to get to in a little bit, the wars of, 18, of, of AD 70, okay? Not 18, no, for, take out the 18, of AD 70, okay? So Jesus, they're talking about this temple and Jesus said, hey, soon this temple is no longer going to exist. Now you have to remember, this is huge for them. The temple is the center of their existence, Right? I mean, can you imagine if you showed up one Sunday and, and this, the church, this church was burnt to the ground? Okay, it would be sad, but this is not the center of our existence, right? We, first of all, we know that our, our faith in God is not dependent upon the walls of this church, and, and we are actually the temple of God, right? It, it, he dwells within us, and we can meet anywhere for church. And quite frankly, you don't come here for your daily trading and daily social as aspects, a lot of you, that kind of thing. So that it would be devastating, but for them, for the temple to be destroyed, they see this as basically the end of the world. Let's go on. And he said, see that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am he, the time is hard. I'm sorry, the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. So Josephus also records that just prior to the destruction of the temple, that there were these false messiahs, a lot of these people rising up and really kind of using that, that as a way to try to build uprisings against the Roman government. And, and against other governments, so they were, they were coming, basically trying to get people to fight alongside them. So Jesus is saying, soon the temple is going to be destroyed, and here's some things that are going to happen just prior to that. Now, whether or not this piece is meant to be pointing also to in the future to the tribulation, we don't 100% know. There are people that ride on both sides of the fence on that. However, everyone agrees that, all scholars agree that he's definitely talking about the destruction of the temple here. But also, it's a good reminder for us. It's a good reminder for us that there are going to be people who claim to have messages from heaven. There are going to be people that claim that they are the way. There are going to be people that claim that that they're the, the next appearance. But Jesus makes it clear in this passage, and as well as later on in, in other places as well, so does Paul, that 
He is going to come again, but when he comes again, it's going to with power, it's going to be with authority, and everyone's going to know it. All right, let's move on. Verse 10 through 19, we see the coming persecution. Verse 10, then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places, famines and pestilence. There will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand on how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated for all, all for my name's sake, but not a hair on your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain their lives. I'm sorry, your lives. So here's Jesus is warning them that, that, that with the destruction of the temple, there's also going to be wars and persecutions for the disciples. And he's telling them that these hard things that they're going to suffer for his name's sake should actually be something that they can be encouraged by because God is going to be with them. That he's going to give them what they need to continue spreading the good news. And while they're going to face that opposition, they're going to have God's strength on their side. And we see that, right, that they were able, they they were given those, those words that he says through the power of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, right? And ever since Pentecost, we see different places where the apostles and disciples were able to rise up and say just the right word, just the right testimony at the right time through the Holy Spirit. But he's making it clear that God will stand with them. He will watch over them. He will assist them. And that he would care for them. Now, in verse 16 through 19, if you're look, reading that, you, you, you might have noticed a, a discrepancy, a contradiction. Because he says, some of you will die. And it's true. Some of them did die. But then later on, he says, but not a hair of your head will perish. Well, that word perish means cease to exist. And he's saying that you, you will die, some of you. You will die an earthly death, but you will live eternally no matter what people do to you. You will have a bodily resurrection. You, you will not cease to exist regardless of what physical harm people do to you. So these words are therefore meant to encourage his followers reminding them that whatever happens to them by way of persecution, that nothing can ultimately harm them. And we can take that same encouragement that no matter what happens to us, nothing can ultimately harm us. Now, I do want to talk real quick because a lot of people today talk about how we might we are getting close to the end times. And I don't know, maybe we are. But I think we look at things that are around the world and we, we have a very pinhole mindset of what's happening in our world. <clears throat> we don't see the whole perspective. We don't see the whole picture. And it's e- easy actually for us to get, forget history, in fact. And while it's true, we, we are facing some difficult times and there's definitely some things that are, are 
opposing Christians. Here's the thing, a few things I want you to consider. You know, he talks about wars and rumors of war and persecutions. Well, there's been wars and rumors of war literally since the beginning of recorded history. There's actually been 15,000 recorded wars throughout history. There's actually only 228 years that historians could, can identify since the history of recorded history where there's been any, where there's been a level of peace throughout the world. 3.64 billion people have been killed in war. Now, I don't know about you, but that, that kind of gives me a perspective that yes, there's a lot of things happening, but there's always been a lot of things happening. Now, there very well may come a time in our country where we face serious persecution, but I will be honest, I don't think we're even close to that. Because I look at what's going on in churches and other places and what's happened in churches throughout history, and the American church is anything but close to what it would, I would consider real persecution. Some opposition, some struggle, but I would not necessarily call it a serious persecution what we're facing. I think it's hard for us to get to perspective because we have had such a good time of peace in the American church. But either way, whether it be a persecution that we face overall as a church or persecution we face as individuals, trials and tribulations we face as individuals, Jesus does say this. He says it will be our opportunity to bear witness. See, so how we face whatever trials we go through as the church, as individuals within the church or the church in the big C, however we want to call it, it's our opportunity to bear witness. And so I would ask us just to consider when I face trials, when I face trouble, when I face people uh, standing against my beliefs and my faith, am I using it as an opportunity to bear witness? Well, he goes from there and talks about the overall destruction of Jerusalem. So let's look at that. He says, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those who are inside the city depart and let none, I'm sorry, and let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. For there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, real quick, that last part where it says, alas, for the women who are pregnant and nursing infants, um, that's not any kind of judgment against women or any or saying that they're going to have a, you know, even more difficult time other than it's very difficult to run. It's very difficult to hide. It's very difficult to fight when you are caring for children. Well, Most scholars would agree that this is definitely Jesus talking about the actual destruction of Jerusalem. And he's warning his disciples to be prepared, to be looking for this so that they can get 
away, which is very much what happened. Many of the disciples were able to get out of Jerusalem and live within the hill country and in the other areas when Jerusalem was going through this. Um, and in AD 70, 1.1 million Jews were killed in that war. So Jesus is warning his disciples to flee to the mountains. He says that this is the day of vengeance in verse 22. If you look at verse 22, I believe what he's saying there is that this is God's vengeance for the centuries of disobedience from the Jews. And then ultimately, the obedience of denying the Messiah. That the destruction of Jerusalem was, was his vengeance unleashed upon them because they refused to be obedient. They refused to listen. And in verse 16, he says, I'm sorry, I want to refer to back, back to chapter 20, verse 16. If you remember um, in chapter 20, we were talking about how uh, Jesus gave a, um, a parable about the uh, tenants. And they, they were on the landowner's land, and he would send the messengers to receive the, uh, the rent or the fruit from, from their harvest. And they, they were treating them badly and, and even and killing them. And Jesus was making the correlation to, to the prophets that were being sent. And they were treating the prophets badly. And then he's, in the end, he says, the, the landowner sent his son, thinking, well, they'll, they'll treat him well. But what did they do to the son? They killed the son. And then at the end of that, Jesus says in verse 16, he says, he will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. So most scholars would say, that verse was actually pointing to this destruction in uh, AD 70. And that, that it was, that this is the vengeance of God unleashed on the Jews for not being obedient. <clears throat> so what does that say to us? I believe all places and all people that say they're God's people, but don't follow in obedience, God someday will judge for that. He, he will, his patience and his mercy will eventually come to wrath if we do not heed his warnings. Well, then we get to verse 25. Verse 25 says this, talking about the second coming. And this, and this, by the way, this is where all scholars agree now he is jumping for sure to the, the final days, okay? There's a lot of debate up till verse 24 if he's just referring to Jerusalem and the final days or if, if how, how that works. But they all agree at this point he's referring to the final days. Verse 25, and there will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and on the earth, distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. The key here that I want to focus on is verse 27 and 28. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud 
with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. There is going to be some level of strife and persecution on this earth before Jesus returns. But when he returns, he will return with power and he will return with glory. And Christ followers everywhere can lift their heads and know that the redemption is drawing near. Someday he's going to return. And when he returns, it will not be a hidden thing. He will not come as he did before as the meek servant, but rather he will come as the victorious king. And his people can stand tall in the midst of even the most difficult times. And then he tells this parable to kind of give them some hope. And he says, verse 29, he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out and leave, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all this has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So when he says this generation in verse 32, he's saying the generation that sees these things. So just like when you see a tree bloom, you you see shortly after that, you know it's going to be in fruit. He says, when the, the generation that sees, that sees these things coming, within their lifetime, they're going to know that all things are going to pass away, but he will not. So, so he's basically telling them, look, this is not a th- for you, but whatever generation sees these things, they can know that their hope has come. See, this is one of those areas where people kind of get in debate. Some thinking that Jesus is coming in power here means a rapture. You know, a time when believers are going to be taken to heaven and, and then the world will be judged. But then there's others who believe that when Jesus comes, it will be the, a, a one final time in power and all people will see it and everyone will be judged at that moment. I think the key, the most important thing is that we all believe that Jesus is going to come. That we know that Jesus is going to return. And we have that hope that he will come in a, in a cloud with power and great glory. And that we can raise our heads in that time and not be ashamed and not even fear him. Notice that raise your heads mean you, you can look up to him and not have to fear his judgment. I think we'll be the only ones doing that. And finally, verse 34, be ready, be ready. Verse 34, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down and dissipated and and drunkenness and cares, I'm sorry, with with dissipation and and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. See what he's saying? He's saying, hey, whatever you do, keep, keep alert in this. Keep alert in your walk and your faith. Continue heeding my words. Don't don't get caught up in all the distractions of this world. Don't let the world pull you away. Don't let the lifestyle you're seeking after pull you away, but seek me. 
For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. See, I don't think Jesus is saying here that, oh, we should be looking for every sign. We should be trying to figure it all out. I think he's saying, man, stay alert in your faith. Be obedient to me. Don't get caught up in just looking at all this stuff. Focus on where's your heart and how humble are you? How loving are you? Are you seeking to be obedient in, in my commands? Or are you just like, just living your life, doing what you want to do? See, there are those who believe that the signs leading up to this are very clearly laid out in Revelation. And then there are those that believe that it's not so clear. And that just as Jesus said, that no one's going to know the day, not even him. But here's what every follower of Jesus agrees on. He's going to come. And when he returns, he's going to judge. Not based on every action. It's not some checklist. It's not some did you rise up high enough. But can you stand firmly on my name? And you don't stand firmly on his name with a prayer that you said when you were 14 years old and then living a life however you want. I think sometimes we get caught up and we think we're fooling Jesus because we said some prayer someday that somebody told us, all you got to do is pray and you say this prayer and then you're good to go. There's a difference between believe. I truly believe that Abraham Lincoln existed. I don't trust in him. I don't, I don't put belief in him. I don't put my life in his hands. There's a whole difference between believing that Jesus existed and following Jesus. And as he says, we need to stay awake at all times. Don't fall asleep in your faith. Don't get distracted by the world. Pursue a relationship with Christ and obey his commands. I want to close out by showing a video, <coughs> a testimony of a gentleman I've gotten to know a little bit over the last year and a half. And it's been a great pleasure to get to know him as I see him truly seek to say, hey, my life was not one in obedience to Christ, but I'm, I've, I've made a decision to turn that around. Watch Heber's testimony. Hello, my name's Heber Taylor. I was born and raised here in Heber City. My wife and I joined this church a little while ago, and it has been one of the greatest experiences we have had. We absolutely love being part of this church. Um, so I am Heber from Heber, and this is my story. By the time I turned 40, I had gone through two divorces. I had had one biological daughter and uh, two stepdaughters. And I had really kind of hit a low spot in life. And I was kind of, I had taken all those, you know, you take those wrong turns in life. And I had taken so many wrong turns that, um, Everything was pretty bleak. I really didn't have any any sense of 
Christ or or any type of spiritualness in my life at that point. I I was really kind of in a in a bad place and when I turned 40, I think it was when I was 40, I moved to Salt Lake and by then I had developed quite a few addictions to try and help me with through my life and um that would have been in 2010 and I met my my current wife I met her down there and her and I were we were kind of in the same spot we were kind of lost we had been in marriages and stuff and we we believed in Christ but we just didn't have that personal connection that we needed and um we were living this lifestyle this this uh pleasure filled lifestyle you know partying and stuff and we were trying to find our place with Jesus and so we were we started going to different churches i myself i was personally i grew up in the lds faith my wife she grew up in the lutheran faith and we started to go to different churches and and try to um find Christ there you know we had this this feeling that that god was talking to us like we we had kind of run our lives down but here we were at this point in our life and he was reaching out for us you know and um we weren't fully open to it but we still weren't ready to give up our lifestyle and um one night one night we had a situation i certainly i can't go too far into it but we had a situation where there was no doubt about it it's the scariest thing i've ever been through darkness is real but i also knew that the light was real too and i knew that um there was a way to climb out of what i was living in there was a way to get out of my lifestyle i was scared at what i had become i was scared at i was scared of the things that were happening around me and i had i couldn't as hard as i tried i couldn't make it work you know when you get to that point in your life it it's like what do you do do you do you go on or do you give up and i got to be honest i don't know where i was at at that point but when he reached out to me i don't know what it was but i was ready and and i welcomed him in to my heart and my life and and nothing has been the same ever since after that happened we started to devote our life to trying to help others and to um do everything we could to attend uh churches and to 
read scriptures, read, you know, read the word of God and, um, and our hearts burned with this heat because we, we felt something that we had never felt before this, this burning desire or this burning love, you know, and when you come from the lifestyle that I lived, there's Satan doesn't give you a lot of love, you know, he gives you a lot of empty promises and lies and fear. And, and that's not what this was. And this was something that we, that I had never, ever felt in my life. I could see his hand in um, relationships. I could see his hand in my recovery. Absolutely. Like um, in recovery, it's a, it's an everyday process. And that's something that you, you can and you should rely on on a daily basis. I've been able to um, spend my time volunteering at the jail in recovery and as well as um, uh, Bible study uh, services. I don't know quite what to call that, but it gives me the opportunity to give back to people, you know, to share my story of struggle and my story of addiction and um, my story of fear and pain and how Christ can deliver, can deliver us all from that. My wife and I joined this church and we joined it because we want, we wanted the freedom to be who we are. I was, I kind of got caught up in pretending to be what other people wanted me to be. And I was tired of that. And so I come to the Mountain View Fellowship as who I am. I am a recovering addict. I have done severe damage to people that I love. And I am a beggar before Christ. But my love for him is strong. And I fight every day to have him by my side. And that is my story.